Now we're ready to begin. Let's uh, dedicate our learning, of course, to our brothers and sisters in Israel. Uh, my sister-in-law emailed me. A siren went off again in Yerushalayim this morning. Obviously traumatic and scary each time throughout Eretz Israel, And we know that there's so many soldiers amassed on the border just waiting. Last night there was uh, text messages and emails going around that they're about to go in and say these to Hillam. I think that was proven to be a hoax or, or a little premature, I should say. Um, but uh, Tehillim are never premature so it's always worthwhile to daven and, and our learning this morning please God will be in, in their zchus we have the privilege this, uh, this week of learning Parshas Vayetze continuing the story that we left off last week uh, last week we saw Yitzchak is fooled by his son Yaakov who is in the guise of Esav and takes the bracha. We talked last week about why does it really matter? Isn't it God who bestows a bracha? This was much more than just a bracha. This was the covenantal destiny. This was going to forge the very future of the Jewish people. And that's why it meant so much. And we saw last week, I thought it was very interesting, Rav Hirsch's novel interpretation that Rivka had been arguing with with Yitzchak every night going to sleep. You don't understand. Esav's fooling you. He's pulling the wool over your eyes. You don't get it. Yitzchak says, it's not true. I know my kids. I know Esav. He's a good boy. I'm telling you, he's the real deal. And he's about to bestow this blessing on, on Esav, which will have cosmic and eternal implications. Rivka is desperate. So she says, you know what? The only way I can show him that he's being fooled is to fool him. So that's what we saw first last week. If Yaakov, the Ishtam Yoshev Olam, if the... Um, if the aloof, scholarly Yaakov, whom his father may be considered a little bit of a nebuch, could fool his father, then the charismatic, outgoing Esav certainly could. And that's what Rivka was trying to prove to Yitzchak. And when Yitzchak realizes it, he, he, he shakes, he's traveling, when he realizes his whole life has been a sham, he's been fooled by this son, and he's, he's wrong in terms of, of who, which of his progeny he's been investing in. So that was all last week. Of course, the result is that Yaakov is on the run. And here we begin to see a major transformation in the character of Yaakov. Yaakov goes from the Ishtam Yoshev Olim, from the scholar who's in the ivory tower, who is secluded and who is protected and who is not exposed to the influences of the world, to now being immersed in the influences of the world, and most notably one of the most worst uh, influences out there, uh, an influence who is who is uh, tricky, who is scheming, who is nefarious, none other than his uncle Lava. And what happens in between leaving the ivory tower and going to be immersed in the home of Lavan? The beginning of this week's parsha. Yaakov, Vayifka Bamakom, by the way, I reference it all the time, been, but the Yalkut Shimoni, the 13 synonyms for prayer I keep telling you about, that no two prayers are the same, there's all different types of prayer. So one of them is what's called Pigia. How do we know Pigia is a form of prayer? What happens in Pasuk Yidal, if you're the very second verse of Pasha's Vayetze, Vayifka Bamakom, Yaakov encountered the place, there's a, a type of prayer which is Pigia. So uh, Yaakov goes to sleep. We know we have the medrash of his, his stone. What's medrash? Come tonight, people of the book. But his, uh, the stones, 12 stones gather under his head. They become one. Yaakov has this dream. There are angels coming down a ladder, up a ladder. He wakes up and he says, I didn't even realize uh, this is the house of Hashem. This is the entrance to, to heaven. What does this dream symbolize? So very quickly, of course, what it means is that there is a ladder, there is a bridge that unites heaven and earth. We don't believe that, that holiness, religion, is relegated to the heavens. And that we need to escape the earth. We need to escape the physical existence in order to achieve sanctity and holiness. But rather, sanctity and holiness are achieved in the mundane, in the everyday. 
Our goal, our job is to build that ladder, is to create that bridge between heaven and earth. And that's the lesson, that's the message, that's the vision Yaakov needs to hear in root to Lavan. Until now, he's been immersed exclusively in the realm of heaven. He's been living only in Shemayim. But as he's heading to Aretz, as he's heading to the land, lest he lose it all, he needs to be taught that we are capable of building that bridge, of integrating the two, of having that, of having that ladder. He wakes up, and now he's ready to begin to understand holiness is achieved in the mundane. It is the dream, it is the vision of the ladder. And that's what he says. I realize, this is the house of Hashem, and this is the way to heaven. The way to heaven is through earth is my attitude towards time, my attitude towards food, my attitude towards pleasure, my attitude towards, towards work, my attitude towards my health. The, through the mundane, through living life, through the arts, through the land, through the earth, is the Shara Shamayim, is the entrance to heaven, is the way to achieve holiness, the way to achieve sanctity. We don't have time, I don't want to spend time on this, but it's interesting, Chazal observe that where was Yaakov? So Yaakov, is a machlok, is the Ramban, other Mepharshim here, but Yaakov, Maybe it was in two places simultaneously. This, this ladder extended. But where is he having this dream? Where is he? No. So one suggestion is he sees the ladder extend to Har HaMoriah. Yes, he's on the place of his forefather where the Akedah happened. But where is he? The, the Pasuk itself identifies. Where is he? Vayikra Shema Makom. Look at Pasuk Yates. What does he name the place? Betel. V'ulam luz Shema Yir Larishona. He's in a place that's called Beit El. And that's not Haram Moriah, that's not Yerushalayim, it's outside Yerushalayim. Has anyone here been to Beit El? Yes. So last summer I went to Beit El. I went on a Friday with my sister and her family and her community in Modian to deliver food to the families of Ulpana had been uprooted from their homes just that week. It's a whole side story. So there is a, a sign at the entrance to Beit El which I took a picture of, I have here on my phone, I will read to you the sign at the entrance of Beit El. It is remarkable. It says, Chazarnu Habaita, we have returned home. There's a huge billboard at the entrance of this Yeshuv of Beit El. Kan be Beit El if nay, 3800 Shana, here in Beit El before 3800 years, Huvtacha Eretz Yisrael Am Yisrael. The land of Israel was promised to the Jewish people, Ayyadei Borei Olam, through the creator of the world. Bikoach Havtacha Zu, it is only because of that promise that happened 3,800 years ago today, 3,800 years ago in Beit El, it's only because of that promise that today we sit in Haifa, Tel Aviv, Shiloh, and Hebron. It's an unbelievable sign. You know, maybe they're dull to it, the, those who live in Beit El, coming in and out every day. But when I saw it for the first time going to Beit El last summer, I was blown away. That's, what are they referring to, the promise made 3,800 years ago? This dream of Yaakov. This dream of Yaakov where he wakes up and, and God makes the promise, Yaakov, reciprocates and makes a neder, takes an oath. That's what we spoke about last year, is this oath of, of Yaakov. What kind of deal do you strike with Hashem? Because he tells him, God, if you're with me, you guard me where I'm going, and you give me bread and clothing, and and I get to go home, then you're my God. You take care of me, you're my God. You don't take care of me the way I want, mm, I don't know. So we discussed that last year. We discussed that last year at length. Any tissues around? I don't see a tissue box. We discussed that last year at length. Huh? 
How do you make, can you make deals with God? Now we talked about it length last year. You could go to Wai Torah or the Shul website and listen to last year's class. How do you make deals with God? But it's interesting. So again, the Ramban says that really Yaakov is, is referring to two places simultaneously. The latter extends. So he's in Beit El, but the Shar Shamayim is Har HaMoriah. That's the Temple Mount. That's where Avram brought Yitzchak for the Akedah. Each of our Avos had contact with that sacred space long before the Temple was even built. That was a holy place for the Jewish people. So it's very interesting. Chazal already note that Avram referred to this place as Ahar. Avram referred to it as a mountain. Yitzchak refers to it as a Sadeh. Sadeh, it's a field. And Yaakov here refers to it as Ein Zekiim Beis Elokim. This is a bayit, it's a house. What's the difference between Avram calling it a, a, uh, a har, a mountain, Yitzchak a field, and Yaakov a home? So I, I suggested in Russia previously that maybe it's a different attitude and approach not only towards that specific place but towards our relationship with Hashem for Avram it's a mountain a mountain you ascend you climb you're constantly ascending you're constantly climbing a field is a place that has it has cycles agricultural cycles you plant and it blossoms and you harvest and then sometimes it's barren you have to plant again you have to harvest there are cycles and for Yaakov it's a bias which is stable it's a home but perhaps that, that already there are many Mepharshim who describe that's the Machlokas that's the debate those are the different they really complement one another but the different descriptions of Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov all of that place and all of our relationship to Hashem is it in ascension are we constantly climbing is it cyclical or is there a consistency to it like a home but what I suggest in my drush is maybe what they're debating is where is the primary place that Judaism has lived for Avraham it's Ahar it's the Shul the shul is the place where you're trying to daven. You're trying to climb that mountain of Kavan. You're trying to develop that relationship with Hashem. You're trying to ascend. For Yitzchak, it's a sadeh. It's a place where blossoming takes place. Where is that? The base medrash. Learning. Learning, you, you plant a seed. It blossoms, you grow. For Yaakov, where is the greatest place of religious growth? Not the shul and not the base medrash, but in the bias, in the home. In the Jewish home is the most sacred place of the Jewish people. That is where the greatest growth is. That's the place of greatest emphasis. But anyway, that's all for another time. So again, finishing our overview of the Parsha, then we'll get into our specific uh, psukah. So Yaakov is on the run, he has this dream, he now understands a vision for life, a vision of integration, of synthesis, that it's not a vision of segregation, that you have holiness and you have mundane, but rather they, they combine, the holiness is achieved through the mundane. That's his vision, and now he's prepared to take on these influences and the world. So he goes and he, he's at the, at the uh, well, which we'll talk about at length in a moment, and at the well, he uh, meets uh, Rachel and he has the superhuman strength to remove the rock. Rachel brings him home. He's introduced to Lavan. He cuts a deal. He's going to work for Lavan and he earns uh, Rachel's hand in marriage. Only there's a little switcheroo pers- that takes place and it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not Rachel he gets but he wakes to find that it's Leah. She had given the signs to her sister. I think I referenced it last week when we talked about this idea of deception and lies that Yaakov wakes up and he says to Rachel, Pansinger, how could you have done this to me? How could you trick me? Don't you have any, any uh, fidelity to the truth? She says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? You're lecturing me about switching things around? About fidelity to the truth? This is Mida Keneged Mida for what you did with your brother, with Esav. And that's right, that's Yaakov's life. Is on the one hand, he lies, and then he is tortured by lies. 
Rachel and Leah switching, Lavan being dishonest with him and reneging on the deal, and, and Yaakov then is dishonest with Lavan about the sheep and lies to him about the Trafim when they're, when they're leaving, and then you have Yaakov is lied to about, by his sons about what happened to Yosef, that he was killed by an animal. So Yaakov is surrounded, his whole life is riddled and characterized by lies. Fine, they marry, Leah bears four sons, uh, one of whose name is Yehuda. How does his name become Yehuda? I, I never, never fails to amaze me that we read this parsha always during the week of Thanksgiving. But Yehuda's name is Yehuda. Why? Apam Odeh Hashem. Because Leah expresses gratitude. The Gemara says, Brachos, Leah is the first to give Hoda. Leah is the first to express gratitude. Right? That also needs to be studied. What does that mean? Adam and Chava never said thank you to Hashem. Um, Noach never said thank you to Hashem. Shem ve'ever had yeshivas, but they never said thank you to Hashem. Avram, Yitzchak, never, Yaakov never said thank you to Hashem. Leah is the first to thank Hashem. But she names her son Yehuda, and that's indeed all of our names. We are Yehudim. We are defined and characterized by gratitude in the, in the week of, of uh, Thanksgiving. So Rachel is miserable. She sees she doesn't have any children. She has children through her, her maidservant, right reminiscent of Sarah and Hagar. We have the episode of the Dudaim. Leah has more children. Rachel finally gives birth to Yosef, who is beloved. Yaakov wants to leave, but Lavan keeps. So they have this, this uh, negotiation and the sheep and the speckled and the spotted and the decision that it's time to get his children out of there, out of this home of his, of his father-in-law. Yaakov convinces his wives. They leave. Lavan follows. Um, there's a confrontation. Rachel lies to her father, not getting off because she's hiding his idols. Again, more deception and more lies. Lavan wakes up, kisses his sons and daughters, then sends them on their way. And that is the end of the Parsha. Okay, so that's an overview of the Parsha. But I want to see today and study in depth is the beginning of chapter 29. That's where we left off last year going through the verses, going through the Pesukim themselves. The beginning of chapter 29, which happens to correspond with Shani. It's page 146 in the Stone Chomish. <clears throat> okay, so where we are again is Yaakov awakes from his dream and builds this altar, makes this nether, takes this oath makes this deal with Hashem, you're with me, you give me food to eat and clothing and guard my children and bring me home safely, you take care of me in all the ways that I perceive you should, then we got a deal, then you're my God. So what happens? Yaakov lifts his feet and and he goes eastward. What is eastward? East is a reference to Urkastim. Aram and Ur-Kastim, it's the region east of Israel where he is, because he is fleeing, and simultaneously while fleeing, he's going to go look for a wife. Now, Vayisa Yaakov Raglav is a very funny language. Yeah. First of all, what does the word Vayisa mean? Lifted. It means to lift. It means to lift. Yeah. Um, what do you mean he lifted his feet? That's a very strange way of putting it. Yeah. Why can't the Pasuk just say, Vayilech Yaakov Arza B'nei Kedem? Yaakov went. Why is it described in this context as, as lifting his feet? So Rashi says, The Medrash, not this week's book, People of the Book, tonight's Medrash Halacha. Next week is Medrash Agada. So whenever Rashi, these Midrashim that we're quoting is Medrash Agada. But you'll hear more about that tonight and next week. So the Rashi quotes the Medrash that says, Yaakov got the good news. Yaakov had this message from the Almighty that everything is going to be good. He'll be protected. Nasalibo esraglov. So sometimes when you have such good spirits, when you're in such a good mood, you're lifted. It's as if you're walking on air. Vaisa Yaakov raglov means Yaakov. It's not that his feet lifted him; he lifted his feet. 
He was in such good spirits, so optimistic, so positive about this journey that he would be on under the protection of Hashem. Vayisa Yaakov Raglav. Yaakov was lifted. Yaakov lifted his feet, says Rashi. That's what it means. He was light. He was light on his feet. You know, you have an extra bounce in your step. You're in a good mood. You're positive. You're optimistic. You're excited. That's how Rashi understands. Says the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, Rashmul Bameir, similarly. Also, we'll study who the Rashbam was and the people of the book. It's shameless plugs. Starts tonight. What can I do? Vaisa Yaakov Raglov, Mitochshiv Ticho Akarish Borochu, Halach Besimcha Uvimarutsa. Right? Similar to his grandfather's Peshat. Since Akarish Borochu made him a promise, he went Besimcha with joy, Uvimarutsa, and an extra bounce in a step with, with uh, speed. He was, um, he was moving uh, quickly because he felt his extra bounce in a step. Says the Kliyakar, Vaisa Yaakov Raglov Ayelech, Lefisha Bahalicha Rishona Amru. Razal, our rabbis taught when Yaakov first left his home running from his brother. What happened? Kaftzer lo ha'aretz. Gemara Sanhedrin tells us we have a tradition that he had a kvitzas aderech. What's a kvitzas aderech? It should take you an hour to get somewhere and you get there in half an hour. I've had a kvitzas aderech and then a big fat speeding ticket right afterwards. Right? That's my kvitzas aderech. That's not a real kvitzas aderech. Yaakov's kvitzas aderech was what should have taken an hour Literally, in the world of physics, in the world of geography, only took half an hour. It was a miracle. It was a miracle where the land, it... It, it, um, it downhill. Contract. It shrunk. It contracted. That it took less time for him to go. So when he was running away from Esau, he had this kvitzas haderach, the sudden burst. It took him less time than it should have. So, so uh, says the Kliyakar, uh, And how did that happen? The kvitzas haderach, it doesn't say there was a there was a, a nesper His legs were a miracle. He ran like Hussein Bolt. He made it from from his father's home all the way. It doesn't say he ran in miraculous speed. It's the land shrunk and gave him that. It was a shorter distance, which should have taken. So At this point, after the dream, he no longer is meriting this kvitzas aderach. Now he's like a normal person who's going with his legs. That's what the pasuk is telling me to tell us. Yaakov has to walk with his feet. He doesn't have a magic carpet. He's not flying through the air. There's no kvitzas aderach. The miracle's over. Now he's walking normally with his feet. So we saw three interpretations. Rashi says. He heard good news, God's going to protect him. His heart carried his feet. Sometimes your feet carries your heart. You're exhausted, you wake up lethargic and tired and miserable, despondent, despair. It's difficult to get out of bed. So your feet carry your heart. Other times your heart carry your feet. You're so excited, you're so awake, you're so alive. It's as if your feet aren't even walking, you don't even feel it. That's what Rashi says. The Rashbam says he was so besimcha b'merutza. Similar interpretation. He was so excited he walked quickly. And the Kliyakar says, no, forget all of these. What it means is, until now he had merited the miracle, so he was able to move quickly, swiftly, but the miracle was gone. Now he had to walk on his feet. Rav Hirsch, we've been quoting a lot of Rav Hirsch recently. We're getting into Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch writes another interpretation. It says, now he was quite a different person to what he was before. When it said, Vayetza Yaakov mi Shava. You know the old Yiddish joke. How do you know Yaakov wore a hat? How do you know Yaakov wore a hat? Because it says, Vayetza Yaakov in Beersheva. Yaakov left. Would a Jew go out without a hat? That's the old joke. They didn't have a, they didn't have a very good sense of humor, I think, in, in Europe in the last century. They didn't have a great sense of humor then. So it says, Vayetza Yaakov. So Rav Hirsch says, the Vayetza Yaakov, the Yaakov who left his father's home, and the Vayisa Yaakov, and the Yaakov that wakes up from this dream, are two different people. 
There's Vayetze Yaakov and Vayisa Yaakov. There's the Yaakov who left his parents' home, shy, introvert, um, humble, lived in an ivory tower, passive, uh, not ready to confront the world. And now there's the Vayisa Yaakov. It's a different. Now it says he lifted up his feet. With such thoughts of the future, writes Reverse, awakened in his mind by God, Yaakov, even with only his staff in his hand, steps out fresh and gaily to meet his future. Vayisa Yaakov Raglav. It's, it's, it's coming, this, this extraneous verse, which is unnecessary, is coming to tell us there's a transformed Yaakov. It's a new Yaakov as a result of the dream that he had. So what happens? Vayar, vinei be'er basadeh. He sees and there is a, a, a well in the field. Vinei sham shloshe edrei tzon rovtsim aleha, ki mina be'er ahi yashko adarim, vo'even gedol al be'er. Yaakov looks up and he sees a well. And there's three flocks of sheep laying there right beside the well because from there they were going to water the flock. But there's a major rock. There's a huge stone over the mouth of the well. It was very large. All the shepherds met there because together they can remove the stone from the mouth of the, of the well. They, they water, they give to drink the, the sheep. And then they replace the stone to the mouth of the well. All this, what do I need to know? What do I care? We'll see in a moment. Yaakov walks up to him and he says, Hey brothers, where are you from? Right? Yaakov's like, Rabbi Shlomo. Hey brothers, where are you from? And they say, We're from Haran. Right? That's music to his ears. You're from Haran. That's exactly what he wants to hear. That's where he's headed. Do you know love on the son of Nachor? What's one problem with that? Is Lavan the son of Nachor? No, who's Lavan's father? It's the same father as Rivka. Remember Lavan's Rivka's brother? Rivka Abbas Bisuel. So who's Nachor? Vayomru Yadana. They say, yeah, we know him. Vayomru Lema Shalom Lo. And he inquires, Yaakov inquires, well, how's this Lavan doing? Vayomru Shalom. Yeah, he's good. Vinei Rachel Bito Bayamatzon. But you know what the best way we can tell you how he's doing? You see that beautiful young lady? That's his daughter. Yaakov gives them a musr. He says, what are you doing? You're getting paid by the hour. You're sitting here schmoozing by the water cooler, the well. It's time to feed your sheep and get moving. We can't till all the shepherds get here because it takes all of us to take off the stone. So then he's in the middle of talking with them, essentially giving them Musr. She walks up with the with the tzon, with the flock of her father, Kiroahi. She's a shepherdess. When Yaakov sees Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, the brother of his mother, in case you didn't know, and the sheep of his of Lavan, the brother of his mother, he all of a sudden becomes Superman. He gets the superhuman strength and he removes the stone. And he feeds Rachel's sheep. And what does he do next? What any man would do. He leans in and he gives her a kiss. And he raises his voice and he cries. Right? Very out of order here. You think maybe he should introduce himself before he leans in. <laughs> before he leans in for the kiss. A little aggressive on Yaakov's part. He says, by the way, I just, uh, I just puckered up and gave you a kiss. Might as well let you know that um, I am the brother of your father. Not really true. We'll see in a moment. And the daughter of Rivka. She runs and tells her father. Okay, and we'll continue with the verses in a moment. So now let's go back and analyze. 
Let's all go all the way back to Pasuk Beis and analyze. Vayar v'inei be'er basadeh. He raises his eyes and he sees there is a well in the field. What's the deal? What's the deal with these wells? How does Yitzchak meet his wife? Through Eliezer? At the well. How does Moshe meet his wife? At a well. How does Yaakov meet his wife? At a well. Church, just a coincidence, right? That the well is playing all these roles. What is the role of a well in Shiduchim? Why is it in these major personalities, leaders of our people, they had to meet their wives at a well? What is there specifically about a well? So let's see. Oh, so let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So look at uh, Pasuk Beis, the Balaturim. The Balaturim of Yaakov ben Asher, the son of the Rush, says the Balaturim, Amra lo imo kemosha anochi yifas toar v'nizdamti ala be'er, ken yelech ha-semami b'nosachai im tirashi kitaari hibas mazalich. Just like I met your father, or I was um, betrothed to your father at a well, through my appearance, so too go to a well and you'll see a woman who looks like me, who has a beautiful countenance, a beautiful appearance, you'll know she's bas mazalich. She's your mazal. She's your shidduch. She's your bashert. So what's the purpose of the well, says the Balaturim, at least in Yaakov's case, it's simply masa of a similabonim. Ya Yitzchak, through Eliezer, discovered Rivka at the well. When Rivka sending Yaakov on his way, he says, you want to know where to find a, 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 a righteous woman? Go to the well. That's where I was hanging out. When you see a woman who looks like me, who seems righteous and beautiful, that's the place to go. Right. Avoid the bar. Avoid the club. Vinei be'er basadeh, says the Balaturim. Remez le'be'er shahayel Yisrael ba'midbar. This be'er basadeh is a hint, an allusion to the well that would nourish and feed the Jewish people throughout their trip in the desert. By the way, whose merit was the well in the desert? Miriam. The Be'er Miriam. It was the well of Miriam. I'm sure it's a coincidence that it was the well of a woman. It wasn't the Be'er Aaron or the Be'er Moshe. It was the Be'er or the Be'er Chur or the Be'er Pinchas or the Be'er Kalev, the Be'er of any of the other righteous people of the desert. It was the Be'er Miriam. Right? And the Baal term continues this through. Shosha Edrei, who are the three flocks? Be'gematria Ze Aaron, Umoshe, Umiriam. The three shepherds, this is an allusion to the three shepherds of the Jewish people, Aaron, Moshe, and Miriam. From this well, the Gematria Moshe. Uh, the Balaturim plays this all the way through, not for, not for now. But why, what's the, what's the allusion of the, of the uh, well? So look at the Kliyakar. Writes the Kliyakar. It occurred to him that when he saw the three flocks, the three shepherds, This was a sign that three great men of the Jewish people would find their wives at a well. And what's the significance of a well? Because women are symbolized by a well. Women are equated to the well. Shne'emar, the Pesach says in Mishlei, It says, drink water and, and uh, it will flow from the Be'er. Okay, so what's the hint? Says the Kliyakar, we already have from the Pasuk in Mishlei, that there is a lot in common between a well, between a well and a woman. 
Why is a well symbolized by the... Why is a woman symbolized by a well? So one interpretation is, where is a well found? A well is below the ground. A well is something which is... A well is something which is hidden. A well is something which is deep. There's a depth to it. It's not easily accessible. Only those who go after it can tap into it. There's more than meets the eye that's on the surface, it's beneath the surface. So there's that level of understanding. That's what the Pasuk says in Mishlei. Wisdom of woman builds her home. And, uh, and this uh, hint over here, Shisei Mayim Mibore, drink from the well. The well is likened to a woman. But I want to share with you, there's a very interesting article on uh, Yeshiva Haratzion, Gush on their website, their virtual base medrash. It's an article by Rav Hanan Samet called The Meeting at the Well. It's a very interesting article and I encourage you to read it another time but just to summarize parts of it. So the first suggestion he makes is what is the role of the well? Again, Moshe runs away to Midian and he's hanging out at the well and he meets Tipora. Eliezer goes to the well and discovers Rivka. Here Yaakov is at the well. By the way, Yaakov is not intending to meet a shidduch. Unlike Eliezer who goes to the well intentionally, Neither Yaakov nor Moshe went with the goal of finding a wife. It just happened to them. So the first interpretation he gives is that, you know, the well is a natural place to find a woman. Why? Because women were tasked with the household needs, and many of the household uh, obligations require water. And there was no spigot, there was no faucet to draw water from in those days. If you had to wash the clothing, or wash the dishes, or cook, you didn't turn on the faucet or the bath or the, pl- the dishwasher or the washing machine. You went to the well. So if you wanted to find a nice woman, you were confident, where would you find her? At the well. So again, that's a very simple understanding. Or alternatively, a well is like the, like the water cooler. Right? What's the water cooler in an office? It's a place that people go to gather, to talk, to schmooze. It's a place that is it's social. It is like the bar, so to say, of, of antiquity. So... Um, so you go to the well if you're looking to be social and you're looking to meet people and you're looking to be introduced. The well is the natural place to go. The well is the water cooler of old. Uh, that's the second. Again, similar. It's, it's just a practical explanation. But it goes much deeper than that. It goes deeper than that. He writes in this article, the well serves as a focus of intensive human activity because it is a source of life for the people of the city and for their livestock. Hence, it is at the well that we're able to recognize people's social attributes. If you want to truly get to know somebody, if you want to understand them, if you want to see how they act, what are their values, what drives them, you want to understand their priorities, then you go to the well. And what indeed happened there? It was there that Eliezer saw the character of the woman destined for you to be Yitzchak's wife. It's our story that Yaakov demonstrates to Rachel his love for her with the superhuman strength that he found. He gathered all of his strength. And it's there that Moshe protects the daughters of the priest of Midian. How does he meet Zipporah? Because he protects them against those who are those who are oppressing them, he chases them away from the well. So in each of the three stories, the well highlights the principal trait of one partner in the eyes of the other. So the well is not just a coincidence, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's much more. And he develops this again at length. I encourage you to read his, his article. If you look in our section, he notes, the word Be'er appears seven times in these 12 psukim. In the 12 psukim of Yaakov arriving, the word Be'er appears twelve uh, seven times. Not only does it appear seven times, but uh, the key word well is mentioned together with the word Evan, with the stone that's on top of it, in almost all of the appearances. They go together. There's a well with a stone on top of it. Why is it telling us this? 
Why is it telling us this? And remember, this rock is so heavy. Why is this rock there? By the way, Rav Hirsch writes, very interestingly, generally the cover of a well designed for general public use is made to be removed as easily as possible to facilitate its use. I mean, think about it. You need to go to the well over and over to tap into it. Why would you put something that requires everybody to arrive to remove it? But here, writes Rav Hirsch, this introduces us to the character of the Armenians. No one trusted the other. Nobody meant anybody else to have the slightest advantage. One person might take a drink more than the other. They made the cover so heavy that no person alone, but only by their combined effort, could the well be used. Interesting, right? It is a, it's a reflection of their suspicion, one of the other, and that's why they made it by design in this way, that made it even, even harder to use. That no one would overstep their right. Um, so again, we see that there's a metaphor, well, as equated women, both in the Torah and elsewhere. In Mishle we said, drink water from your cistern and flowing waters from your well, that your may springs can be dispersed outward, streams of water, that's the continuation of the Psukim, which ends with, may your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. So rejoice with the wife of your youth is connected to the idea of the well. You see that connection. Shira Shiram, there's two places in uh, Perak Dalad of Shira Shiram. We also see this notion of, the, of a woman is likened a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, flowing waters from, from Lebanon, from Lebanon. You see. We see Chazal attribute the miracle of the Be'er, as we said, the Gemara Mentainus on Taftes, the Be'er of Miriam. What is the purpose of this, of this image? Why is there this connection? So, um, so again, Rabbi Samet suggests the appearance of the woman at the well in each case represents the appearance of the human character together with her inanimate symbol, the well of water. In each instance, the symbol aids our understanding. In the acts performed at the well and in the connection of the personalities who acted around it, the Torah reveals and advance the type of relationship that characterizes the couple in question. So the interaction they have at the well says everything about the relationship they're going to have for the rest of their lives. Think about it. Rivka is described as running to and from the well several times in order to water the ten camels of Avram's servant. So it demonstrates not only her proclivity towards chesed, but the trait of activeness. For the purpose of nourishing her future family, she will run to and from, she will be active. Unlike Eliezer, who's passive, he's amazed at her energy. So that characterizes Rivka for the rest of her life, for the rest of her marriage. Her role as one of the imahos is her interaction at that well. Um, okay, again, he develops this a lot more. What happens in our Parsha? What's the relationship that happens at the well which will define their relationship moving forward? Yaakov has to move a huge rock. Yaakov has to exert superhuman strength in order to have access to the well. Well, if the well is the symbol of the woman, then it, this is a hint to Yaakov having to exert superhuman strength in order to achieve access to Rachel. What does he have to do after all? He falls in love with her at first sight. He's immediately drawn to her. But he can't draw from her well, so to say, until first he has to work seven years. And the end of those seven years, he doesn't get her. He's, he's fooled. He gets lay, has to work another seven years. And even then, while he wants Rachel, Lavan, you know, you have this whole tension with, with Leah and with, and with uh, Lavan. So you see the symbolic significance of this act is that Yaakov is destined to gather more strength than he has at hand in order to prevail over all of the obstacles to make Rachel his wife and the mother of his children. So this interaction at the well, to draw from her well, so to say, her wellsprings, which a woman is, we know women have greater wisdom and wisdom is beneath the ground like a well. You draw from wisdom like you draw from a well. So 
in order for Yaakov to be able to draw from the wisdom of Rachel, he will have to find the superhuman strength like he did to remove that rock from this original, from this original well. Um, and he sees to a hint in the Psukim. It says, Vayashk. He, he moves the stone. Vayashk. He, he waters the sheep of Lavan. And then, Vayishak. Which, by the way, is more than just a play of words. Vayashk and Vayishak. He writes, this play on the words hints that the watering and the kiss were related. In the wake of his success and the huge effort required to roll the stone, the watering becomes possible, and in the wake of the watering, the kiss becomes possible. In the words of the Radak, since she saw that he had done all this for her, she accepted his kiss. Right? Why doesn't she slap him on the face? Why doesn't she slap him across the face? The answer is, she sees what he's willing to do to get her. She's so moved by his willingness to work so hard for the relationship with her that she's drawn to him as a result. He has successfully drawn from her, her well, so to say. He's achieved access to her to her well. Uh, again, I don't, we don't have the time now. I want to get back to the psukim, but I refer you to the VBM, the Virtual Based Medrash of, of Haratzion. The article is called The Meeting at the Well by Rabbi Elchanan Samet. It's a uh, fantastic article. The significance and role of Moshe. And by the way, thirdly, then he gets into Moshe. Moshe being a protector of these daughters of Yisro, a symbolic of the relationship that Moshe will bring. Moshe is a protector. He's a guardian. He's willing to take the initiative in order to stand for justice and for what's right. He strikes down the Egyptian and so on and so forth. That characterizes Moshe. So in each of these meetings at the well, um, the one is drawn to the other by seeing something about their character which comes out only at the, at the well, the well being the metaphor for women. Okay, continuing. So what happens here? What happens here? Refresh has a whole interpretation. I'm just looking because we are, as usual, going to run out of time. Why is this heavy rock there? So says the Rashbam. Why is the heavy rock there? Not like the reasons we just suggested. It's a safeguard to make sure nobody falls in the well. A wall could be very dangerous if left uncovered. In order to protect it, to make sure no one falls in, and the second suggestion he makes is that no one draw from it who should not be allowed to. Then, then every well should have it. Every well should have a cover this size. Yeah, so maybe that's why the Rashbam gives the second suggestion to make sure that people can't draw from it. Okay. Um... The Ramban gives another suggestion. Look at the Ramban. Why did the Torah spend so much time on this story? The whole well, the circumstances, the shepherds, the sheep, Yaakov's interaction with them. Just get to the point where he meets Lavan. Get to the part of Rachel. Why is this relevant? Says the Ramban, The miracles, the, the salvation of Hashem happens... In, a, in an instant. It happens, Kodesh Baruch is able to provide us an incredible super strength when we least think we can have it. What happens? Yaakov arrives exhausted. He's tired. And yet he finds the capacity to move this stone on his own. None of the, all this gathering of shepherds couldn't move it, couldn't get it to budge an iota. And Yaakov, this poor yeshiva bachar, who is all weak and... Uh, Tepid is able to find this capacity to move it. Why? Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu gives us 
when our moment when we need it, we get that adrenaline rush, we find the strength to be able to endure. And that's the Ramban says, oh, that's the whole reason the Torah is telling us. Why is it taking all these psukim to tell us this whole story? To show us that just like Yaakov found the strength when he needed it, so too we can find the strength when we need it. That is the interpretation of the Ramban. So what happens here? Yaakov comes up, he asks them why they're not moving the... Uh, the uh, thing they tell him we need the rest we need everybody else he sees this he says uh, where are you from my brothers they say from Kharan he says you know Lavan ben Nachor why does he identify Lavan as the son of Nachor when that's not really true so look at the Ramban Lavan was identified by his grandfather Lavan's father was Besuel his grandfather was Nachor so why did he identify with Nachor because Nachor is more dignified, well-known, honored than his father. Indeed, it's referred to later as the God of Avram, the God of Nachor. Nachor is of greater honor. Says the Ramban, it's possible Shaya Basuel Adam Pachos Mala. Basuel was more lowly. So Lavan, who was so concerned with honor, Lavan, who was so concerned with his reputation, introduced himself to people as, remember, by the way, they didn't have a last name in those days. They didn't have a last name. Your last name was your father's name. That was your last name. So Lavan, rather than take on the last name of his father, who was less honorable because he wanted honor, took on the name of his grandfather. Or alternatively, maybe this is a greater honor for Avram, who is identified, associated with, with Nachor. That is what the Ramban writes. The Kliyakar also says, why didn't the Pasuk say love in the son of Besuel? So he says, you know why it says love on Ben Achor? Because look at the conversation. This wasn't the way love identified himself. This was the way Yaakov asked. He sees them, they say, we're from, we are from Haran. Oh, you're from Haran? Haran's a small town. Of course they're going to know Lavan. It's like you dive in a Boca Raton synagogue. Do you know Helen Cohen? Of course, everyone's going to know Helen Cohen. Of course they do. That wasn't his question, do you know Lavan? Everybody knows him. So what was the question? Not to equate you with Lavan, Helen. God forbid. He wanted to know, tell me about this Lavan. Of course you know Lavan. <coughs> what can you tell me about him? What he was asking was, do you know? Uh, do you know Lavan? Is he Ben Nachor? Does he act like his grandfather Nachor? Or does he act like his father Besuel? Is he honest? Is he dishonest? Does he have integrity? Is he corrupt? That was his question. So it's not that Lavan is choosing. The Ramban says Lavan is choosing to identify. Lavan prefers to identify with Nachor over Besuel. The Kliyaka reads it differently. This was Yaakov's question. Is he more similar to Lavan? Is he more similar rather to Nachor? Or is he more similar to Besuel? And you could read the rest of the Kliyakar for more. But let's continue. So Yaakov asks, Ashalom lo. Nu, tell me about him. How is he? And they say shalom, and you want to know? Here's Rachel. 
They didn't really answer. Look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. The Orachayim HaKadosh says, Tam amru shalom lo Why didn't they answer? His question, look at Pasuk Vav again. He says to them, HaShalom lo. His question to them is, Is all well with him? And their answer is, Shalom. What should they have said? Shalom lo. They should have answered in kind. Yeah, all is well with him, says the Orachayim. Why didn't they say Shalom lo? So Because Yaakov really was asking two questions. Number one, How's Lavan? Is he healthy? How's his health? And is he financially stable? And number two, How is your relationship with him? Is he, is he, does he have the respect of the community? Shalom. Shalom. Yeah, good. Yeah. They were answering everything. And why did they continue to say, oh, by the way, there's Rachel's daughter? He didn't ask about the children. They were answering something that he didn't ask. Namely, You don't have to ask about the children. We're going to point out, we'll preempt you. There's his daughter, Rachel. You want to know how he's doing? He sends his youngest daughter with the sheep. Yisro sent his seven daughters. You want to know how Lavan's doing? He sends his one youngest daughter. Okay. And the Archaim here continues. Again, we don't have we don't have more time to go into it. Now, interesting. What happens? Pasuk Zayin. There's a little detour from the introduction to Rachel for Yaakov to give Musr to the shepherds. Vayomru, Yom Gadol. The day's not over. What are you doing? Taking a break. What are you doing lying here next to the well? It's still the middle of the day. What are you doing? It's not time to call quits. Feed them, water them, and go and be shepherds. Now, how in the world, I didn't see this in any of the Rishonim, I don't even remember who I saw says this. Where in the world does Yaakov get off giving them Musr? First of all, we learn from here the idea of giving Musr. Right? This is none of his business. Who is he? Who is he? Rashi tells us what he's doing over here. Rashi says, He sees the way that they're acting. Their body language said they're trying to call it quits. They want to go home. If you're paid, you're hired. You didn't finish your day. And if the animals belong to you, it's not time. You haven't watered them. You owe it to the animals. Some interpret this as a question of tzar balichayim, right? You owe it. Look at the orachayim akadosh. Orachayim says, "Who is he to have become their judge? Who letzad tzar balichayim devar Torah?" Because <coughs> Zarbal Khali is a Delraisa law. It's a biblical prohibition to, uh, to mistreat your animals. So Yaakov observes these animals being mistreated by their owners and he says to them, What are you doing? You're relaxing, you're calling it quits, you're relaxing. You've got to give water to these sheep. He was worried about the tzone. So Rashi says he was worried about their integrity. You have, you're being paid, get back to work. Or Chaim says, No, he's worried about the animals. The animals deserve to drink. It's time to give them to drink. But where, the, where does he get off telling it to them? And look what's fascinating. Look how they answer him. No, here's why we're not doing it. We're not lazy. And we do care about the animals. We just can't remove this stone until everybody gets here. Isn't that a peculiar answer? 
I forgot who I saw asked this. What should they have said? None of your business. Mind your business. Get out of our face. Right? That's the kind way of putting it. If they were in maybe in parts of New York, they wouldn't have put it so kindly. They would have spoken with their fists. But who is Yaakov to be so brazen to say it? And how does he get away with it? How does Yaakov get away with speaking to them this way? So, again, I don't remember who says it, but I once saw it. The answer all rests in Pasuk Dalad. The answer all rests in... No, she's not there. Rachel's not there yet. Rachel had not yet walked up. She's not there yet. How is it, where does all the answer rest in? One word in Pasuk Dalad. Which word? Which word in Pasuk Dalad? Achai. My brothers. My brothers. Was it Revolbi? I don't remember who says it. From the fact that when Yaakov first walked up to them, he said, Achai, you're my brothers, he made a deposit in their relationship to be able to make a withdrawal. From the fact that he brought an attitude of, Achai, hey brothers, you're my brothers. I love you, I care about you. How are you? What's going on? I want to have a relationship with you. Achai, you're my brothers. That gave him license to be able to criticize. If you don't take a relationship of Achai, you can't offer criticism. You need to first be Achai. You need to first develop the relationship. And only then can you offer the, the criticism. By the way, this is a key in, not just in criticism, but in, in outreach, in Kiruv. You have to first develop a relationship. You have to have a meaningful relationship before you can be somebody who's trying to offer advice. You have to because you have to really care about the best for the person. So the achai from the fact that Yaakov said, "My brothers," that's what gave him the license to be able to give him the criticism. Yes. Um, the fact that Rachel was coming, however, seems to imply that that was the time that they typically met at the well. So why is the criticism that they were there and that it was early? If she was coming, that's when they all... No, because he didn't know that. Yaakov, this is his first time at the well. He gets there, he sees them all lounging around, he says, what are you doing? Get up, get to work. They say, whoa, buddy, this is your first time here, you're not from here. We have to wait till everyone gets here, it's the only way we can remove the stone. But, but, but the, the bottom line then is that that was when they actually met, always. But he didn't True, but he didn't know that. Didn't I understand know. he didn't know that. But, but so he couldn't have known that. So that's their answer. The Sforno says a different answer. Says the Sforno, Heino no yam gadol, Hatzadik yimayis esa avel kiam kein elanachar. Hatzadik can't stand in injustice even among strangers. A righteous person, it's like we say, it's from Tehillim, we say in Kabbalah Shabbos, O'avei Hashem sinura. A righteous person, if you love God, you're intolerant of the intolerable. You see an injustice, you stand up for it, even if it's among strangers. Okay, so Rashi says, he's bothered, you're stealing from your employers. The Urachayim says, he's bothered, the animals deserve better at Sar Balichayim. The Svarno says, no, he's just bothered. There's an injustice, and the Tzaddik cannot be complacent or indifferent when they see an injustice, which is, Tavas Tzaddikim Ish'al, says the Pasuk in, in Mishlei. Okay, continuing. What happens? He's talking to them and Rachel shows up and she is a ro'ah. She is a ro'ah. Says the Ramban. Says the Ramban. She's a ro'ah. Lahagid ki ain't let son love on ro'ah achar zulasa. There's no other shepherd but she. Ki la lavada masar avia eder vihi lavada ro'ah sam kol yamim. Lavan has entrusted the whole flock to her. Lo selech behem leah achos aklal. Where's Leah? I don't understand. She's not an only child. So where's Leah? Why isn't Leah helping here? Yisro sent his seven daughters. Why is Rachel all by herself? So here suggests the Ramban something interesting. We know that Leah had a problem with her eyes. Right, we'll see later. 
Leah cried a lot because she thought she was going to have to marry that low-life Esav. So she had a problem with her eyes. The sun would damage her eyes. So her father, out of pity to her, would not make her go out to be a shepherd in the field out of pity that the sun would damage her eyes. Or alternatively, she was in Shiduchim. Leah was of age to meet a mate. So Yaak, uh, uh, Lavan was occupied with trying to find a shidduch for Leah, didn't have her busy running her business, business watching the sheep. Or a third suggestion, he says, is Leah was mature. So the family of Avraham are characterized by modesty. Their home, right? What was Sarah? Where was Sarah? When the angels came to visit, where was Sarah? In the tent. Because that's the, the that's the family of Avraham. They're modest. They're they're not they're not uh, out there in the public eye. So ah, how could he send Rachel? Because Rachel's a katana. She's young. She's not yet mature. But once you're mature like Leah, then you're home. And here the Ramban ascribes a virtue on on Lavan. And the Ramban tries to explain maybe that's why Yaakov kissed Rachel. Not a romantic kiss, but she's a katana, right? It was, it was an affectionate kiss. Oh, you're my family. You're the one. You're who I've been looking for. I find uh, solace in seeing you. Maybe because she's a katana, that's why he felt the, the comfort. This was before he fell in love with her, before there was a romantic component to their, to their uh, relationship. Oh, who could divrei Rabbi Avram, like the Ibn Ezra, kinashika balamid einena bepeh. The Ramban suggests that when the Pasuk says, Vayishak uh, Yaakov Lirachel. It should have said Vayishak Yaakov Rachel. Yaakov kissed Rachel. He kissed to Rachel. So first, by the way, I saw some explain it. It means he gave a kiss to Rachel. He didn't kiss her. He gave a kiss to her. A description of affection. Right? The Ramban quotes Ibn Ezra. It means Balamid is not on the mouth. It's not an affectionate romantic kiss on the mouth. He kissed her on a kepi. He kissed her on her shoulder. He gave her a little kiss on her kepi to say, oh, because she's a katana, because she was out in the field, unlike Leah, who was the gedola, who was home. I don't want to go into the time of Rabbi Moskowitz, which I already have. We will pick up from here, please God, next year. Hope to see you tonight at the People of the Book, the Lunch and Learn tomorrow. And uh, would that, would that also have a great job.